Join us this week as we welcome Obama's inaugural poet and our family's soul poet, oh, as Marina cries in the background, Richard Blanco. Like a sparrow building shelter with branches for its young, my mother built a nest with love for her little ones. My grandfather told her, doesn't matter what you have, the only thing you each other's helping hands never emptiness my mother always says spread your wings and fly you can always come back to rest never emptiness my mother always says wherever you may go to grow this will always be your home hello everybody welcome back to never the emptiness i'm vanessa and I'm Jackie. And I'm Nicole. And we are all here with a super, super amazing guest today, Richard Blanco, who is a poet that for some needs no introduction. I will still give a little intro for those that are that that don't know or want to know more. But um, for us, he's definitely an incredibly special poet and person. He is the writer of many, many books of poetry, many awards. And the ones I'm going to mention are um, the City of a Hundred Fires, because I love, and it translates into Cienfuegos, which we can talk about in a little bit, but that was published in 1998, the first one, and won a bunch of awards from the University of Pittsburgh. It was about being Cuban-American and, to a certain degree, the first trip back to the motherland. And then there were other books like Directions to the Beach of the Dead in 2005, another favorite, which uh, won the Beyond Margins Award from the Penn American Center. And that one's about family. That's why I'm talking about that one, because it's really, I think, about family. And so many others. Recently, there's a 2017 book, which was a collaboration with a photographer. And here's the thing that most people outside of the literature and poetry realm know him for, which is being Barack Obama's inaugural poet. I mean, it's freaking amazing. We'll talk about that a little bit later, because Nikki and I have a little anecdote specifically about that. But you know, we'll start how we always start. Um, you know, guys, how was your day? Uh, I'll go last. I think you should talk first, Nikki, because you have a very special thing that just recently happened. Hi, everyone. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm here with the whole fam. I live in LA, as many of you know. And last week, like once or twice a year when we're here, my husband and I can go on a date because uh, my mom can take care of our four and six-year-old. So we were so looking forward to it. We had a hotel room. We had dinner reservations. And he was on his way to rent the car. My dad took him to the airport rental a few days ago. This was a week ago already. And he tripped. Uh, he tried to jump over a barricade. I don't know why. Um, and fell and right on his chin and fractured his jaw and needed to go to the hospital. He had surgery yesterday. It's been a nightmare. He had his, like literally had like a hole in his chin. They had five stitches, fractured jaw. He can he can't talk. Liquid diet. Like he's so it, it's it's a lot. It's been a lot. <laughs> That's what's happening over here. My mom's suggestion after that was we all have to slow down because I think he was so excited for his date. You know, he was like <laughs> so excited. He jumped the barricade and then poor guy fractures. Now he has a plate in his, now he has got like got the bad boy scar and the whole thing. But you know, it's a lot. And we're just grateful that he didn't hit his head. 
mom, do you want to go or you want to be included in this since you have been de dealing with this whole thing? That's part of yours. Okay. I share Nicole's agony uh, <laughs> and Jonathan's ag agony. And I think that I don't know what hurt him more. The fractured jaw in two areas, by the way, the bleeding ear and the chin, or the fact that one, Nicole was going to freak out when he called her. And the other one was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, after two years, this was going to be our first date and alone time. And it, it didn't happen, obviously. The other thing is that my mom turned 90 today, El Dia de los Reyes Magos. And we were there. I mean, we, she lives with me, us, when Nikki's here and uh, obviously in this crazy nest. But we realized that she, um, remember the movie Peter Pan and the old man? Who lost his marbles? Who lost his, she lost her marbles. Yeah. Today it's official. Yeah. She has lost her marbles. <laughs> we just realized that today. Well, I, I've been in denial, obviously, but today was, I mean, she made sure that we knew that she lost her marbles. She had lost a few of them. And then today the whole bag is gone. My situation is that I'm grateful today. One, this podcast, I'm super excited for it, but Two is that my kids no longer have COVID, which was my thing. I don't know how in the world my husband and my two kids got COVID and me in the same house, which is not that big. I somehow did not get COVID. That's mine. What about you, Richard? Well, <laughs> I've lost my marbles too a long time ago, <laughs> except I replenished them. I think I have a big bag in the, in the closet. <laughs> now, um, actually, it's been kind of quiet because I'm spending the holidays up in my home in Maine. And between that and sort of kind of isolating, I uh, haven't done much. The most exciting or weird things happen. We caught a mouse. <laughs> we do the humane trap thing, and then we don't know if it's worse because it's like 10 degrees outside. But they're so cute. You want to kind of like keep them, but they're like gross. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I live in the country. It's unavoidable. You get mice. But yeah, that's about as exciting as it gets. And just really frustrated, actually, or, or not frustrated, but pleasantly frustrated over a poem that I've been working on all week. Um, it's kind of a challenge poem. Mm. A friend of mine asked me to write a poem using the F word, and I've never used a poem using the F word. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really interesting. I don't cuss, <laughs> I don't cuss in, in my poems. Is that like a concerted effort to be like, I don't, I just don't do this. It's another realm and I don't do it. I just, I just never, it doesn't come from me. Like wow. I don't, I, I don't cuss in my poems for some reason. I like cuss like a sailor all day. In fact, <laughs> I have to watch it with my classrooms and stuff because everything is F-bomb this and F-bomb that. P-bombs too. The P-bombs <laughs> even more than the F-bombs. Richard, do you find that when you cuss in English, it's, you feel it milder than when you, for the, the F word, Okay. In What's Spanish, oh, it's, I can't say it. It, it won't leave my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but in English, I, I'll say it. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, not in a poem, but <laughs> it happens to me where if I cuss in English, it doesn't sound as bad to me. No. And in Spanish, <laughs> it's no, no, no. Esa palabra no la puedo decir. I always say, I, uh, I think in English and I feel and cuss 
and make love in Spanish. <laughs> and it's great because my, my, my partner uh, doesn't speak a word of Spanish and barely understands it. He, he gets the P word, but it's literally like, it's really like, I love Lucy. I just go off in Spanish and blah, 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 blah. blah. And he's like, whatever. Like, <laughs> and then there's no, and nobody gets hurt. Cause I, yeah. I get that off my chest and he has no idea what I That's say. Perfect. You should do that. My husband is American, so I have I do the same thing. But he's like, you think I don't know? He's like, the minute you start talking in Spanish to your mom or your sister or by yourself, you're you're like talking either about me or then he's, and then I'm like, no, it's just sometimes it just comes out. But yeah, of course, when you're frustrated, that's when I start talking to myself in Spanish. And he's like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> Nick and I were talking this morning about the day that you did the inaugural, which of course we didn't know you back then. We remember the moment because we were in LA and we were so excited. There were, we were like, oh my God, it's a Cuban. Oh and we were God. jumping up and down. <laughs> and we were behind, I was behind the couch, that brown couch that you have. I don't know where you were, yes. but I remember. And we were literally jumping up and down. So then when, you know, then here we are. But it's just fascinating. And the other thing is that you had seen something about the the empty nest and we were talking about big Cuban nests and you were like, yeah, mine is not that big. And it's also, you know, tell us about it. Tell us about your nest. My nest growing up or my nest as it is now? Start with your nest now and then tell us what the nest growing up was like. We could get into it in a little bit, but. You know, it's interesting because I, I, when I was really, when I was younger, I, I wanted to have a kid. I don't know how many children, but I, I even remember writing this for a while, a diary to my unborn child, mm -hmm. uh, sort, of, sort of telling my life. Um, and then I guess somewhere when I, when I came out um, um, and started living uh, as a gay man, that kind of wasn't not that it was impossible, but it kind of took a back back seat. And then by the time I revisited that question, I felt I was too old and too much into my career. And so um, all this to say, I've never had kids. I'm not going to have kids at this point in my life. But so my, my nest has really been my husband and I for 22 years and pets. Um, but I got to say, we fill in that nest pretty well. <laughs> like we are not, we are crazy. Like I just, I, I feel like we do have children, <laughs> like because la cosa que se nos ocurre and the things that we do, like we still have date night, and we, you know, it's, awesome. it's, we um, we fill in a lot of time. He is he's he's quite a character, and I am for sure. <laughs> but um, it it's never feels quite empty, and it's quite a big nest because of, at least here in Maine, we live in a huge house in rural Maine, fifteen acres of land. Wow! <laughs> but we never I've never felt I've never felt lonely around him. We're still like two kids, actually, and I think that's part of what we keep it. We keep the fun going. What else about the nest? Now, um, I'm also having another. Um, I'm having a nest crisis because mm -hmm. I've been up here also 12 years full time. Yeah. And while I love the Maine woods, like I'm. I'm doing that whole, I can't got to get back to Miami thing. Mm -hmm. I've left twice. This is the third time I'll come back. And so I'm creating my own little nest in one of my first little nests, which is Surfside, Florida. How often are you back and forth? I spend the semester mostly in Florida each semester and between one thing and another before you know it. it, it goes. So our nest has changed um, because yeah. March, March stays up here, but he'll go down for a week and then I'll spring break and you know before you know it it's over and then we got all summer to be in maine which is the best part to be in maine yeah what does mark do mark is lucy <laughs> <laughs> 
he's a, a mad uh, crazy uh, professor i mean a uh, mad scientist uh he is a let me see officially he is a microcell biologist clinical oncologist public health specialist and drug formulator so oh my Lord. he's a science guy wow. we do speaking of nice i mean he just moved his lab into our house into our house so we're spending even more time together um so we spend a lot of time i haven't i haven't had a nine-to-five job for 12 years so um and he's had nine to five off and off so we really share a lot of space yeah but yeah he's he's uh he's a scientist <laughs> that's amazing but how is this nest now different from the nest growing up in miami well you were born in spain actually right technically but yeah i was born in spain um but um I got to the United States when I was 45 days old. So it's interesting going even further. So we first moved to New York and I guess that was my first really experiencing that sense of nestness uh, because it was a time where my tia Olga was a manager of an apartment building. And as Cubans would families would come, she would save the apartment. So we literally, the whole apartment was a nest and every, every, every floor was full with relatives. So you just spend your day, like going from visiting someone, going to someone else's uh, house to eat and whatnot. At some point, virtually almost the entire apartment building was relatives or old friends from Cuba. Everybody knew each other. Awesome. It was a wonderful, uh, wonderful memories of that place. And then in Miami, um, we moved it to Miami in 1972 to Unduplex, <laughs> <laughs> of course, and Wachete. And, yeah. uh, and the nest got really small because my grandparents and brother stayed behind in New York. And it was just my mother and my father uh, and myself. And then um, eventually, and plus Miami in 1972 in Westchester was really empty to begin yeah. with. Yeah. <laughs> what it is now. So even the neighborhood was sort of an emptiness. Uh, but eventually my grandparents moved down, my brother, and then it was six of us in one house, which when you're a little kid, you think your house is big, but it was a three bedroom, two bath, a little duplex in Westchester. I'm like, how did we not kill each other in this place? Yeah. <laughs> and that was for years. And um, the, yeah, my grandparents lived with us for years and we're, and my and were my primary caretakers. Well, my parents, of course, both had to work. Um, wow. And my I, my mother still lives in that same house. And really, yeah. And Aww. until until I got this apartment in Surfside just recently, I would spend the my semesters living with her in the same house I grew up oh in, gosh. which is really a fascinating and wonderful yet weird kind of feeling. Yeah. And then I was going to FIU. I'm like. Did my life change at all? <laughs> Going to FIU. And of course, the other thing that happens is that when you go back to the nest, your mother starts treating you like a little baby bird. Yes. <laughs> and that was not going in a good direction. <laughs> no, no. And I and then I turned into a little bratty bird. <laughs> right. Right. Was any part of it fun to sort of be back there for a moment? Or was it mostly like, oh my God? <laughs> No, it was it was good. Well, again, m once my mother did retire, and so mm -hmm. she was spending a lot more time together, and, and that that cost a little more attention. But um, yeah. but no, no, it, you know, it was fun. Um, yeah, it was more, and I would come a lot because I travel so much, and you know, spending a week with her was great and whatnot. But then just life gets in the way, and 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 she's not lost her marbles. But yeah, you know, and so like yeah. she doesn't boundaries she doesn't get some things and like and then she's hard of hearing but she has a hearing aid but apparently mm -hmm. i'm one of only two people in the world 
that she can't hear even with the hearing aid. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still like to. My mom has that too. Somewhere, sometimes she finds a marble somewhere and then she's like, she puts it up. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but Richard was a civil engineer. Civil, right? Civil, yep. Before before becoming a poet and also there was like an interim where you were both right well yeah i mean uh, as far as getting my de- my degree yes but yeah. and, uh, most of my life i've been doing them both you know do they have anything in common do you think poetry and engineering yes i think they they do well i should say as careers obviously as careers they're very different right i mean yeah. working in an office and nine to five and but i think in terms of the some of the same skill sets that you learn in your engineering education like a lot of math believe it or not there's a lot of left brain activity in writing poetry i mean language is left brain um, mm-hmm. and so the idea of logic and how to construct language the idea of meter rhythm like music is mm-hmm. very mathematical yeah so is poetry so i think there's they, they share some skills and I, I you know i feel the same creative flow when i'm building a bridge or when i'm writing a poem to me they like mm-hmm. they, they overlap you know that's part of it but i think the more interesting thing that happened in my life was I specialized in city planning and town revitalization projects and stuff like that. So all that South Miami that's been redone, that was me. That was my oh firm. My all of that Key Biscayne um, was my firm. So I was involved with this idea of home and what is place and you know, sometimes sitting for two, three years with communities, with towns evolving a, a plan of like you know because you this is their their town you know these people have been there living there 30 40 50 years you don't just come in and change the curtains you know so it was really a, an active process of and for that i needed my poetic skills right you needed to be that sensitive listening to people thinking about language how you present things being keen to people's emotions right so those two worlds meshed into this amazing space and i remember reading i wrote a poem for one time for one of my own projects and they asked me to read it at the groundbreaking ceremony of my own project and i was like i'm that's it like that was the coolest day of my life i think <laughs> did you always write i mean since you were a child is that something you were always interested in or that's part of the engineering story so um you know, you don't realize uh, I, I get into my consulting job and half my job is writing, writing reports, studies, letters, writing proposals for jobs, which is nothing but a narrative. And and guess who gets promoted? The the one that want, that writes the proposal for a $40 million job and gets it, right? So yeah. so I had to learn on the spot how to write like and, and learn different things. You know, just you don't write to the mayor the same way you write to a contractor okay. the same way, just like we don't speak to people in the same way. But that's where I had a little like I was always left brain, right brain. I mean, I love everything, but I think part I never got into writing in part. It was my socioeconomic class and my pa- immigrant parents. We had no books at home. My parents never spoke English. I, I mean, you know, we were working class um the idea of the arts or even access to the arts wasn't there. So, no se me ocurrió. I mean, but I was one of those weird kids. I would love coloring. I was, you know, I wanted to do something creative in life. I didn't know yeah. what that would be. And I didn't realize it until engineering. Um, 
but the real reason because i still to like just like a year ago i'm like why are you a poet richard like it makes <laughs> no sense right you tell this story to people you're like why would you like it makes no sense and yeah like that it you know the probability of me becoming a poet was like 0.1 percent right and it was because i remember i got here 45 days old i never i don't ever remember not knowing two languages Mm. And so I remember translating for my parents, like when I was three or four years old, like little words and phrases. And I realized that I, at that young age, I, I had a fascination with language. Mm -hmm. I learned that language wasn't just communication, but it was power. Yeah. It was, it was a way of seeing the world. I mean, you owned your, you know, you, we left my, whenever we'd leave Miami, like my parents were, my parents were under our mercy. They wouldn't, mm -hmm. they could communicate with people or understand what people were telling them. And um, so I think that that seeded the whole, eventually I would come to language because it fascinates me. Yeah. That's actually a perfect transition for if you're willing to read us America, your poem, which has a lot of that in there. Sure, sure. Um, and this is this poem is also serendipitous because when I started writing poetry, I started writing well. First of all, really bad poetry, but <laughs> um, but I, I I didn't know what to write about, so I just wrote about the stuff I remembered from high school. So I was writing about daffodils and stuff like the, ro <laughs> the romantics from England. Get get daffodil, need daffodil in Miami, like you know. Yeah. And this was, I walked into my first creative writing master's uh, classroom. And my assignment by my professor, it was write a poem about America. Mm. And I went home and went, That's good. What are they, what America is Whitman talking about and Frost and all these people? That's not the America that I know. And I said, I don't know, maybe I should quit this poetry thing right now. So I went home, scratched my head, and I said, Bueno, dale. A ver que se te ocurre. And eventually it became not only the first poem in my first book, but it, be, it, it became it opened up in me all these questions about identity that I didn't even realize I had. They were yeah. there in my subconscious, but I didn't realize that it was really there. So, and it's called America. And it takes place, of course, on one of our Cubans' favorite holidays, Sangiving. <laughs> America or America. Although Tia Miriam boasted she discovered at least half a dozen uses for peanut butter, Topping for guava shells and syrup, butter substitute for Cuban toast, hair conditioner, and relaxer, Mama never knew what to make of the monthly five-pound jars handed out by the immigration department until my friend Jeff mentioned uh, jelly. <laughs> there was always pork, though, for every birthday and wedding, whole ones on Christmas and New Year's Eves, even on Thanksgiving Day, pork fried, broiled, or crispy skin roasted, as well as cauldrons of black beans, fried plantain chips, and yuca con mojito. These items required a special visit to Antonio's Mercado on the corner of 8th Street, where men in Guayabera stood in Senate blaming Kennedy for everything. <laughs> the bile of Cuban coffee and cigar residue filling the creases of their wrinkled lips, clinging to one another's lies of lost wealth, ashamed and empty as hollow trees. By seven, I had grown suspicious. We were still here. Overheard conversations about returning to Cuba had grown wistful and less frequent. I spoke English. My parents didn't. 
We didn't live in a two-story house with a maid or a wood panel station wagon, nor vacation camping in Colorado. None of the girls in my family had hair of gold. None of my brothers or cousins were named Greg, Peter, or Marsha. We were not the Brady Bunch. And none of the black and white characters on Donna Reed or the Dick Van Dyke show were named Guadalupe, Lazaro, or Mercedes. Patty Duke's family wasn't like us either. They didn't have pork on Thanksgiving. They ate turkey with cranberry sauce. They didn't have yuca. They had yams, like the diddles of pilgrims I colored in class. So a week before Thanksgiving, I explained to my abuelita about the Indians and the Mayflower, how Lincoln set the slaves free. I explained to my parents about the Purple Mountain's majesty, one if by land, two if by sea, the cherry tree, the tea party, the amber waves of grain, the masses yearning to be free, liberty and justice for all, until finally they agreed this Thanksgiving we would have turkey <laughs> as well as pork. <laughs> Abuelita prepared their poor fowl as if committing an act of treason, faking her enthusiasm for my sake. Mama set a frozen pumpkin pie in the oven and prepared candied yams, following instructions I had to translate from the marshmallow bag. The table was arrayed with gladiolas. The platter turkey loomed at the center on plastic silver from Woolworths. I uttered a bilingual blessing, and the turkey was passed around like a game of Russian roulette. <laughs> Dry! Tilberto complained and proceeded to drown the lean slices with pork fat drippings and cranberry jelly, la mierda roja esa, as he called it. Faces fell when Mama presented her ochre pie. Pumpkin, calabaza, was a home remedy for ulcers, not a dessert. Tia Maria made three rounds of Cuban coffee, then Abuelo and Pepe cleared the living room furniture, put on a Celia Cruz LP, and the entire family began to merengue over the linoleum of our apartment. Sweating rum and coffee, sweating rum and coffee, until they remembered it was 1976 and 46 degrees in America. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's still true to this day. <laughs> Listen, Richard, um, I have a cry ball. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> We're classics over here. <laughs> and um, Nikki actually read me the poem. And it's such a vivid description of what we went through. Yeah. Of, thing, yeah, of a Cuban Thanksgiving. And I will add one thing that we did say that today is my grandmother's birthday. And my grandmother's favorite holiday Sangu favorite is Thanksgiving. <laughs> and my grandmother would make a commitment to only serve the American Thanksgiving. Even though she never <laughs> spoke English in her life, she still doesn't speak English. But it was like, this country took us in and I make all the American Thanksgiving. And then we had turkey and la mierda roja. <laughs> the, the, the whole thing. All of it. Actually, your poem will serve to explain it very graphically to, to our grandchildren. Yeah. And today or yesterday when we were driving, was it you that I was telling you, Viste esa iglesia metodista? I remember, or was it? Was I telling Nene? I remember uh, it's, on, it's on Bird Road, uh, on Red Road uh, near US 1, and it's a Methodist church. And I remember to this day, picking up boxes of 
oh, and explaining yeah. and explaining to Nikki, listen, uh, the Cuban birthdays were toda esa spam y todo es that amount of you know um, stuff that they gave us, pero eh, por cantidades industriales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eh, They made all kinds of things with yeah. it, you know. So, so thank you. It's 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 perfect. I have one other memory that kept coming back when I was rereading this, which was I don't know if you remember when I decided that this was late. I was already a vieja, like I mean, not a vieja, but it wasn't. I wasn't a kid. I was like in my twenties, and I decided that in Thanksgiving we would have. I've been a vegetarian. We would have tofurkey, <laughs> and. Literally, one of my grandfathers banned it and decided that he was not coming to Thanksgiving because of Tofurky. Do you remember? Yeah. He just didn't come. He was like, I'm not going to that. I think he was He was like, listen, I was in prison for in Cuba for 15 years and I already had to have turkey. I'm not going to have Tofurky. <laughs> That's the line. <laughs> it's like, oh. Fucking, yeah. No, my, yeah. my mother's still like uh, last Thanksgiving. You know, they try to become more traditional, obviously, but there's still going to be black beans or whatnot. But as I was leaving, she pulled out a, a pork roast from the oven. Um, mm. open and I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, mommy, why did you cook that? She said, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> It was like she just needed to genetically cook pork. For any family gathering, it was like I don't care if no one eats it. I'm gonna cook it, or like, or like, just in case. What does that mean? <laughs> But like, so you have to write an ode to the pernil, yeah, just in case, just in case. And 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 on other years, there's one that one time they stuffed the turkey with like all chorizo and like yeah. every kind yeah. of pork known to man. They stuffed it, so it was really a, it was really pork disguised as a turkey <laughs> my grandmother did the stuffing everything was totally american except it was like a picadillo and inside the turkey <laughs> i knew there had to be something i knew there had to be something there had to just sneak, in case you know <laughs> sneak something in there <laughs> they're like this is turkey on the outside but the inside <laughs> is cuban we're, we're cuban on the inside that's actually really good it is. <laughs> it's very <laughs> That's a good metaphor. Yeah. I might, I might be American on the outside, or I'm Cuban on the. Exactly. I might be Turkish on the outside, but I'm Picadillo on the inside. Exactly. <laughs> That was exactly it. what was it. I'm writing a song. That's it. it. Oh my God, you are. Yeah, Nikki has an album. Hey, have we talked about this on this? No. Oh well, she has an album that's out called Lost Luggage. It's really good. Lost you can. Right, but, oh. <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> lost baggage i'm oh. sorry not lost luggage i lost still baggage. love that's a great title i love it anyway spotify etc all the things we have one last question for you before we we hop off of this super fun session <laughs> listen i just have to say i don't want to forget because then vanessa always says that i that i talk too much but no i, I my mom just totally made that up we did <laughs> i just want to thank you for showing up i mean you're such a big deal to us i mean to the world hello barack obama <laughs> but uh to us i mean when you were there at, we all cried obviously we it, it's a very big deal Yeah, for the world, but for us specifically. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And my, uh, and that was, I still think it feels like a dream still sometimes. And 
um, my mom and dad are in that poem. Obviously, in yes. it's, it's 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 there. Yeah, <laughs> not all of it, but it's there. <laughs> yeah, no, it was beautiful. I mean, I think it meant a lot. It meant a lot for all of us. A question that I um, wanted to ask you. Being a obviously the professional engineer, when did you think or when did you believe that you could be a poet? Well, I think it's like everything in life, baby steps. Um, I'm still, you know, um, and I, like I said, I started writing really bad poems. I hadn't quit my engineering job or anything like that. I was I actually started writing late around age 27. Not, I mean, it seemed late back then. I wish I was 27. Um, but um, it, it's like everything in life, a little bit, you know, you gain a little more confidence and you get more feedback and you realize you're improving and whatnot. Um, and I guess the first big aha was getting my first book uh, published, right? Um, that says something, right? That says, okay, I've arrived. But like anything we always, in life, we always challenge ourselves as playwrights as uh, musicians as parents right what's the next thing so you never i you know I, i'm not saying that i don't feel like i'm not a poet or a faker and, and i loved vanessa your post about uh, uh, the imposter syndrome i don't have that but the thing is you want to challenge yourself right so you're like so you're like always on a little bit of a, th a thin ice because you're like if you're doing it right you 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 still don't feel like you got got it all under control but you've done a lot so so i would say the first book definitely and then ever since then it's you know it's a rung in a ladder and a rung in a ladder, and then you want to go to the next rung and the next rung and i think that's healthy uh to have a little bit of skepticism and not be oh i'm this great poet or i'm this great anything um that's where you really get into trouble but i gotta say if we have a little time, the moment yeah. more than that feeling a poet that I was a poet, the first time I really sort of got poetry was there's a famous little poem. You know, this is when I first started writing. I wasn't in my master's program yet, as we would say, comiendo mierda, you know, pasa <laughs> tiempo. <laughs> and I was reading some more poetry and I was reading that famous little poem by William Carlos Williams, The Red Wheelbarrow which goes, so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater besides the white chickens. Famous, super famous poem for reasons that we're not going to get into now, but I'm reading this poem and I'm in El Florida room watching my mother cook with the same apron, with the same nick knives, with the same black ollas and, and like, and I'm reading this poem and I'm going, so much depends upon my mother and her stained apron cutting onions. And I was like, oh my God, that's what poetry is. It's about the things right in front of your eyes that you, you appreciate them, but not consciously until, you, you know, Paul opens your eyes and goes like, look at that. 20 years of doing that, you know, like dinner at dinner at 6.30 on the table every day, you know, like, and you don't, you don't realize. And that little poem made this life open up for me. And that's when I thought, okay, I know something about poetry now. <laughs> Thank you for sharing it. And I promise my last question. When do you, thinking back, right, at that, was there anything in your life that helped you get to that? Was it your surroundings? Was it the way you lived? Was it, what did, what do you think of anything? that helped you get to that point? I think in part it was poetry itself, right? Like so reading more poetry and practicing poetry opens up your eyes to the world, right? And 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 it makes you look at yourself too and understand. I mean, I didn't realize I had 
an identity crisis until, the, mm. like I said, that poem that I wrote for America. And then, yeah. you know, and then I, it was like this floodgate of, wow, I've had all these questions on my life, but I've never articulated. But I would say there's people along the way too. Um, one who we have in common, Vanessa uh, Christy Izquierdo. Uh, yes. Uh, and she was, uh, she's a good friend and she was an English major. So, English major or something, I would like corner them and like <laughs> jump and shove my poems on them and see what they thought. <laughs> and uh, she's the one for, that actually said, you know, there's something, she didn't say they were great, but she said, there's something here. You should, have you ever considered getting a master's in creative writing? I'm like, you can get a master's in this crap. But <laughs> I so little baby steps of just the, that just sort of maybe uh, and people that come into your life serendipitously yeah. uh, that um, that help you along. Yeah. And, um, but I think emotionally, how to get to that point was the actual poetry itself. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons I'm addicted to writing poetry is is because every time I finish a poem, I feel like I learned something new, uh, discovered something new about myself, about someone in my life, about a memory, about the world I live in. Uh, it's really ultimately, um, and I know a poem isn't really done until I've I found something that I didn't, you know, I, I didn't come to the page with. And that's the moment where I'm like, oh, this is what this is about. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of serendipity, I feel like I met Christy her through through serendipity because I met her at a coffee shop because she had seen Amparo and she came up, she saw a play that I'd done and she came up to me. Actually, her husband came up to me and then she did. And then we had this conversation and then we have kept in touch and like have sort of like become friends. And then way down the line after like we start doing things together, she tells me, um, you know, we, I actually know Richard, you know, I, I used to read his poems a long time ago. And then you tell me that she is a huge part of me. I was like, of, of you becoming a yeah. poet. And I was yeah. like, Oh my God, that's insane. Yeah. My, she has a dedication in, in, in my first book. Um, and the acknowledgements. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she was, and she was, uh, she was a librarian. I mean, she was, she was yeah, going she off, she was going off to study, um, library sciences. And yeah. so she knew a lot about poetry. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, she loved it too. So yeah. that, that was, that was, you know, you can't plan those things. No. They say, and life is what happens in between the things that you plan or most of the things that happen are kind of mistakes, <laughs> or not yeah. mistakes, but like accidents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I just want to say again, uh, as we wrap up right now, just thank you so much for being here and joining our nest and making it an amazing nest for today. It's been fun. Enjoy your little main nest <laughs> with Lucy. With Lucy. <laughs> okay. I'm wow. telling you, this is a crazy nest. It's a circus sometimes. So enjoy it. Good for you. That's a beautiful nest. You yeah, use. it's a nice balance between the two crazy Miami and, and empty nest up here. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening and join us next time on Never the Empty Nest. All of your success, she says, all the great things ahead. I'll be here when it's time to see you again. And if you fall, she says, if someone breaks your heart, I'll mend your wounds in this nest of ours till you're ready to 